Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. We're ready to start the hot topic section of the Lickin' On Lending podcast. We're going to be discussing leadership today with a good friend of mine, a client, and someone I'm very excited to share his wisdom and knowledge. His name is Joe D. Dominicus. You're talking about leadership, and it's continuing on a series of things that we're talking about on leadership. Joe D. Dominicus, good to have you here, friend. Well, thank you, David. It's an honor to be here. I really appreciate you having me on the show. I have always longed to get these conversations like you and I have and some of our other clients have on the podcast. So I'm really grateful that you're willing to come on and share the information that is so common around you there at National Reliable Ending, NRL, which you're better known as and share that with our listeners. And we're going to be talking today about the next evolution of technology in the mortgage industry. And seeing as you are uh, both CFO and CIO there, is it CIO, CTO? I'm not sure. I don't... CTO, uh, but it's it's all, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about technology and (laughs) and managing that technology. Well, and, and look at how your vision for it is. That's one of the things I'm really excited about, both from leadership within the industry and where you're going. So let's start off for those that do not know who you are to give us a little bit of your background in the mortgage industry and tell us about Nations Reliable Lending. Ah, that's great. So I've now been in the industry for just over 30 years, David. Started right out of college at KPMG's National Mortgage Banking Practice out of D.C., and it was right during the uh, RTC days, If for those of you who remember that. Been in mortgage ever since. It's uh, you know, been a crazy wild ride, uh, one where people often ask you, how could you still be in the industry? But I, I love it. I'm very passionate about everything I do in the mortgage industry. And it's just a fun place to, to be because I never stop learning. I, I learn something new pretty much every single day of uh, my career. Very fortunate throughout my career to have had the opportunity to lead in many different roles. I've been everything from the head of credit risk at a major regional bank to a CEO, COO, CFO, and a CEO in various roles in origination and servicing. And joined Nations Reliable Lending, or as most people know us, NRL Mortgage, about four years ago as their CFO, CTO. And uh, we are primarily a mortgage retail originator. We're licensed in 48 states, 76 branches across the country. Uh, in 2019, we originated $1.4 billion, and like a lot of folks, uh, in 2020, we almost doubled that volume to uh, almost $2.8 billion last year. And uh, we've invested a lot in technology over the past four years on everything from moving our infrastructure to the cloud to implementing a new CRM and, and point of sale. You know, it, it all comes down so much about leadership and, you know, the fact that the owner of the company, uh, one of the founders was Ron Zach. But I want to give a shout out to Ron and what a great 
leader he is to recognize talent like you and to bring him in. Like, like I recognize Bill Cosgrove for bringing in Alice Alvey and making your core part of the team. So Ron, shout, Ron, shout out to you, Ron, for uh, finding guys like uh, Joe D. Dominicus and making him a core part of your team. And there's so many others on your manager team. Talk a little bit about yes. your manager team. It is really an extraordinary yeah, we, group of individuals. Yep, we have a great team. Our, our ownership team, it starts with uh, – you know, Michael Allen was one of the original founders. Yep. He's our chief right. secondary officer and uh, really knows every aspect of the business. He's been in it, you know, for at least 25 years now. And uh, and then we have Miwell Gabermichael, who's our chief production officer. And he and Ron have known each other, you know, since they were five years old. They have worked together for a very, very long time. And they joined uh, NRL in 2012. They've been here ever since. And they brought a few of us, like myself and, and Kevin Murphy, our COO, and our Chief Transformation and Strategy Officer, Courtney Jacobson, into the fold, and been very fortunate to work with such great people and help grow the company. I mean, it's, there's nothing more fulfilling than being able to you know, feel like you're making a contribution to a company that's growing. Yeah, well, you are. You're making a huge contribution. We could talk about each one of them and, and the unique blend of personalities and talents and skills. And it takes someone like Ron to really let each shine. It's like a great orchestra director. Everyone, someone can play the violin well, someone can play the tuba well, and how you get everything to come together is just always a, a little bit of a uh, art. And it's a, it's a science and an art, but Ron does it so well. So shout out to you, Ron. I want to talk about the cost to complete a loan these days. It's just come, it's gotten crazy more and more and more expensive, but you're doing so much to reduce costs. So talk about the winners and losers and how to define and how to compete in this marketplace, especially when you've got you know, industry leaders like Quicken out there. Talk a little bit about how you guys are finding your way through this. Yeah, great question. We take an approach, which I'm sure a lot of others try to take as well, but for us, you know, we try to find a way to use technology that will allow our, our borrowers, our consumers to do business when and how they want to uh, when getting a loan with us. And uh, I always like to say it's technology when you need it and human when you want it. I, I think too often when people hear about technology and, you know, trying to make uh, technology to to do things, you know, automate processes, uh, they often think that we're trying to replace the human. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's going to happen anytime, probably not in my career, uh, but probably not even in my lifetime. I, I think that Look, there, there's just too many people with the largest transaction they're likely to ever have in their life that are going to want to talk to somebody and not just, you know, do everything automatically uh, through, you know, a, a computer. And so you're going to have some of those like myself who, you know, have gone through seven or eight mortgage processes and need very little handholding, but you're going to have, you know, those that, you know, need a lot of handholding because it's their first time buying a home and, and they need to understand and, and be educated about the process and, what it takes and what it means to, to own a home and, and to have that mortgage payment. I know you guys are developing a consumer direct division. You're doing, you're, you're working various strategies. What's driving some of those need for changes around it? What are you seeing there? It goes back to what you said. Look, the, the cost to originate has been skyrocketing. I think if you take out, you know, 2020, which was, you know, if not the best year on history, it, the best since 2005. And so, you know, volume has a way of, you know, covering up uh, some of the, the real problems of the industry. And, and certainly, you know, cost is one of those. The cost to originate, you know, I think it came down this year, uh, you know, in 2020, but it's it's still going to hover around $9,000, um, depending on whether you're a major bank or a major independent or, you know, just a, a other regular independent like us. 
I, I think that uh, leveraging technology to try to bring down that you know cost to originate is absolutely critical. And you know, I'm a big believer in those with the lowest cost to originate with the best service will be able to compete in any environment. And I think if you have a high cost and you're not looking for ways to reduce that cost, it's going to be a challenge to go up against the quickens of the world who, you know, not only, you know, have a, a good process behind them, but also market more than anybody else in the industry. So it's the name that everybody knows. Yeah, it's so true. Alice. Well, since you uh, brought up that the whole marketing, right, there's and uh, something else that you mentioned kind of goes along that same line, and that's that customer experience, right? Customers today Absolutely. are very fussy, and there's a lot of analytics that have to go into that to identify really how to make that process extremely smooth to them. Can you talk to our group a little bit about that, how you address innovating within that customer experience? Yeah, I think it all does come back to listening to your customer. And I think it also is important to understand that no two customers are probably going to be the same. And, and while you can look at it from a macro perspective of what you need to do and, and you know, the, the types of things that you want to give the, the tools that you want to give to those borrowers in order to make their piece of getting a mortgage easier, I do think that it's, it's you know, absolutely critical to get all the feedback throughout the process, you know, where were their stumbling blocks, where were things that were difficult for them to do, you know, whatever the case may be, maybe they, you know, couldn't get in touch with their loan officer when they wanted to. I think, you know, trying to make sure that you evaluate that whole borrower experience uh, from start to finish and try to make sure that it was as easy as possible uh, for them to get through that process because it's a lot of information. And uh, I think a lot of people today are still very afraid to, you know, provide logins to allow us to, you know, verify their assets or to verify their income and, and do all the things that, you know, could make it easier when you have data. It, you know, that's digital. It, it makes the entire process, you know, more, you know, simple and, and just better for everyone at the end of the day when you have that data coming straight through, but not everybody's comfortable with that. So true. Alan, let's get over to you. You know, when you were chatting a moment ago, it made me think of an article I actually saw today having to do with, but it's more about financial institutions um, needing to really hone in on the relationship with their borrowers or with their members so that they can continue to expand upon the mortgage experience. You can't afford to be in mortgage and you can't afford not to be in mortgage for many financial institutions. But for the non-bank lenders, right, it, it does get down to a marketing, a relationship, uh, using data and analytics the right way. What would you almost suggest has been maybe just part of some of the things that you do on, on leveraging data and analytics to kind of fine-tune the process and, and win over new customers? That's a great question, Alan. And, uh, you know, I think for us, we're just scratching the surface with what we can do with data. Uh, you know, part of the reason we're putting in a new CRM is we really want it to be able to capture more information about the borrowers that we talk to, whether they end up filling out an application with us and going through the whole loan process or not. We want it to be able to understand everything, everyone and every relationship that we have and, and how we are coming in contact with these people and, you know, what it is that they're looking to, to try to achieve uh, with us as, as their lender. And so we use, uh, and we've just, you know, again, started doing this more and more um, with the new CRM. We're using Salesforce and 
uh, started to just, you know, take advantage of their Einstein AI, where we can actually try to determine who's the most likely borrower, the, the, the lead that is most likely to turn into a loan, uh, so that we can, you know, focus our resources and our efforts on, you know, contacting and reaching out to those borrowers. I think, you know, in addition to that, just trying to understand, you know, all the spend that we do on marketing, right? And trying to make sure that we do actually get a return on investment for all the dollars that we spend. It's probably outside of payroll and benefits, you know, marketing is, you know, probably our, our highest cost. You know, something, you know, lead acquisition cost is very high and you better understand which lead sources are, you know, giving you the right bang for your buck. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Probably, I, I may be going out of limb by saying that there's probably no shortage in leads, right? There's just That's different right. ways to acquire them. It's kind of similar, by the way, and I'll just mention this quick for some of our listeners that are on the vendor side. Uh, as a vendor, you know, you download the, the Humda list, and you basically start slicing and dicing the data and, and the institutions and you start to look at the same way and how do you leverage that data. And so I think that's really important that you said that. I just wanted to accentuate that, you know, that using that data, number one, it's a high cost that you're spending, but using that data is really going to be key to help you continue to um, to retain new customers and expand. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Let's talk a little bit about talking about the next evolution of technology. Where do you see things going? I'm fascinated that you're using Salesforce. It is a big name out there. It's certainly not a cheap system, but you, you see value in that. You talked about the, uh, the intelligence that's within it. So expand a little bit about what, how do you see your tech stack lining up? Yeah, I think, you know, the mortgage industry uh, is, you know, historically been behind most other industries and in okay. taking advantage of technology. One of the things that uh, doesn't necessarily go right to the point of your question about what's next, but is important to understand is, we as an industry are often just throwing people at our, you know, our yeah. problems. And so, you know, being a very cyclical business where there's a lot of peaks and valleys, uh, we, we tend to hire and fire people uh, as, you know, those peaks and valleys come and go. And, and that's just something that I've always hated about this uh, industry and have, you mm -hmm. know, really tried to work hard uh, through the use of technology to avoid. And, and I'm a big believer in the more that you can make people's jobs more efficient, the less likely it is that you're going to have to ramp up a bunch of hiring when, when there's volume like last year or, you know, lay off a bunch of people when, you know, volumes, you know, disappear. And so I, I'm a big believer in trying to take advantage of technology and make people's jobs easier. And I think one of the keys to that is getting data. Um, today, that's a mixed bag, right? You have people that, uh, you know, still, you know, submit everything via paper, PDF images, even the service providers that we work with, when you get a credit report, a lot of them, you know, while you have the XML data, they're, they're still providing a PDF and that's what the underwriter is looking at. And, uh, you know, the next evolution for us is really trying to take all that information and present to the end user what it is they need to be looking at rather than them having to try to pick apart information in reports that they, you know, don't know where to find it and they're they're having to study it and spend a lot of time trying to find what it may or may not be even there. So it's really important for us to be able to take all the information that, you know, goes into, you know, qualifying a borrower and try to, you know, place that data in a way that could be easily used rather than just in buried in a report somewhere where you have to go find it or the old stare and compare every time there's a change and, and right. you know, people missing things. When you look at your decisions to make 
to acquire technology or selections, you know, give us the how and the why uh, certain decisions or selections were made, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, no, that's a great question as well. So it, it always starts with what are you trying to achieve as a business, right? So okay. what are your requirements? What are you trying to get to? What problem are you trying to solve? And so for us, it's, you know, first defining what it is we're trying to solve for, and then, you know, really trying to evaluate what's the best solution to to solve that problem. That could be anything from developing it on our own, working with a third-party solution that already exists, or, you know, outsourcing it. Um, but for us, you know, it's it's rarely going to be something that hasn't already been developed. And I'm, you know, a big proponent of, you know, if it already exists, don't recreate the wheel. And so... Yep. You know, for us, it's finding the right partners and then trying to determine, you know, if the solution that they've really provided is going to be one that really solves your problem and, and whether or not they've actually solved that same problem for others or whether or not they just have a system or a thought process about how they can solve it. And maybe they've done it in another industry or maybe they've done it for uh, a company in the industry that is on a different LOS or a different CRM, but they've never done it on your LOS or your CRM, which is one of those pitfalls that I think people often, you know, fall into when picking partners, that experience doesn't really exist in the way that you need it to exist. Well, I'm thinking about also the decisions you've made. We talked about just a little bit ago that how you, uh, the CRM that you're choosing, you've chosen to use is a big name. Do you always go with the bigger names? I mean, how big does size come into play with that? Is that that important, or do you take the risks on a newer upstart company? You guys, I know your path, but I know others are struggling with that. We struggled with it as well. When we uh, you know, were evaluating whether to renew with our current LOS or go to a new LOS, we, we certainly evaluated every you know, possible LOS that connected to the GSEs, and, and we started with just trying to identify you know, whether they were even you know, uh a system that we wanted to dig in deeper on or whether that was just something that wasn't, you know, sophisticated enough to meet our needs. At the end of the day, I, I think the big names come usually with a big price tag and they obviously right. come with, you know, a lot of other companies that have gone through or have used their system in a similar way that you want to use their system. So there are benefits there, but, you know, given our size or maybe companies that are even smaller, I, I think you also face the challenge of trying to get the attention and the, you know, focus of what you're trying to do. And I think, you know, for us on the CRM side, we went with a big name, but it wasn't because of the big name. It was because you really can do whatever you want to do uh, within Salesforce. It is a solution where uh, you can customize it to, you know, do whatever you need it to do. There's a foundation now with the financial services cloud and the high velocity sales piece of it that, you know, comes out of the box that you can pretty much start using, you know, right away. But then there's all the other things that you can, you know, work with to have it manage your leads. And we use it, you know, as part of our, you know, not only our lead management system, but also, you know, to ensure the cadences and the, and the entire communication process uh, with our consumer is, is, you know, done through that system, right? So they know, right. the borrower knows, and I think this is a critical component to, anybody going through a loan, they want to know what's going on, right? And I think, you know, communicating with the borrower through every milestone or every step of the process is, is an important part. And that, you know, allows us to do that in the way we want to do it in a customized way 
um, that makes it feel like we're not just shooting them a text message that says, hey, your loan was submitted to underwriting. Well, great. What does that mean, right? Well, exactly. You know, right. We, we attach videos and we you know, do things that really help educate the borrower as to what that means when they're going through it. Right. That's so, that's so good. I mean, one thing is to select the right software and the technology. Another thing is to get adoption and managing and tracking KPIs with it. Uh, share us how you go about that, the adoption and managing tracking KPIs. No, always a challenge, right? Change is a challenge. Oh, Anytime you, you want to go through change, it's a challenge. And so I think this is a part that is often overlooked. I think that, uh, you know, everybody, when they go to select a system, they, you know, know what the problem is that they're trying to solve for. They find a solution that they think will solve for it. And here's what, you know, that means to them, whether it's, you know, uh, a more efficient process, whether it means getting more customers, whatever the case is. But then after you implement it, actually tracking the results and whether they were effective or not, uh, and whether you actually got the return that you need is is very, very critical. And I think that's where a lot of companies don't necessarily do as good of a job as they did with selection and, and implementation. And so it's, it's a challenge. I think that, uh, you know, look, I think at the end of the day, uh, if you have results that you were expecting, being able to measure those, um, and we have a BI tool that we use the, to measure every step of the process, uh, to see whether or not the things that we, uh, implemented were actually effective in getting the results that we wanted. That is absolutely critical because it may be that your initial assumptions were wrong. You might need to tweak something. You might need to enhance whatever it is uh, that you implement it. But it's absolutely critical that you're, you're tracking and measuring. And then that includes, as you mentioned, David, you know, are they actually using uh, uh, you know, you the things that you implement it? Because at the end of the day, if, if it's not adopted and if people aren't taking advantage of it, then you've just spent a lot of money and a lot of time on something that isn't adding any value. So we uh, spent a lot of time not only doing, you know, the initial rollout, initial training, hands-on as much as possible, but then we're monitoring who's in the system and who's not. We're promoting those people that are in the system that have been very successful with what they're doing. Uh, and I think that helps to lead, you know, salespeople tend to be very competitive. And so that helps to uh, lead to further adoption, right? When they see somebody that wasn't even, you know, on the radar of production and all of a sudden now they're a top producer and they say it's because of, you know, how they used our CRM. Well, that's certainly going to lead others to want to start figuring out how to do it. And mm -hmm. I, I think it takes down a lot of the barriers. Yeah. When you're looking at technology or different phases of your business as you're growing it, you know, where is the dividing line before a starting fresh or building into something that you have that's existing? How do you, how do you make that decision? Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the great thing about starting fresh is you're pretty sure you're going to get what you want, right? So right. you're going to build it, you're going to customize it, you're going to design it the way you want it to so you get exactly what you want. But, you know, in order to do that, you have to have all the the, the people and the, you know, uh, resources to actually spend the time and the money to, to develop it uh, the way you want. And, uh, you know, for most medium and small size IMBs, that's just not even really a possibility. I mean, just, you know, finding people that understand how to design what you want is a challenge. And so, you know, for us, it's primarily, you know, like I said before, uh, been a case where it's already something that's out there and been done. And so I'm not a big believer in that, uh, you know, wanting to create my own LOS just because I think there's a better way of doing it. I mean, look, the, the 
industry is highly built on .NET infrastructure today uh-huh. and, uh, you know, slowly moving to web-based, you know, Java and JSON scripted, you know, systems, but we're not there. And the tech stack that uh, we're using is, is old compared to most industries. And, and so right. um, it's, it does seem like a great idea to build your own, but it is something that you have to have a lot of money, a lot of patience, and a lot of time for. Uh, if you're going to do it that way. And at the end of the day, you really have to evaluate whether or not that's really going to give you, uh, you know, a leg up on the competition. And if it's not, uh, I think you're most often better off, you know, solutioning with a, a third party vendor that already has, you know, their subject matter expertise in what you're looking to, be, you know, develop yourself. Yeah. Alan, any questions that you have as you're listening to this? No, I just great feedback, and you, you couldn't be more right. You know um, about build or buy. Building is software has become more complex, and there's more to do. It's not as simple as building what the old antiquated systems potentially have. Um, there, I think there's a new wave coming, um, which has to do with being able to buy services rather than platforms, and then you then you can build your own. Salesforce is. I've seen people do some really unique things in Salesforce, so that is an extremely powerful system. So just just wanted to say great feedback, and I don't have any further questions for you. That's good. Yeah, Alan, you, you, you bring up a really good point, too. I mean, the microservices that are available now through, you know, AB, API connections uh, is, is mm-hmm. different. And, and what people often don't think about when they, you know, make that buy or build decision is – the rate at which technology is changing and how much it's going to cost you just to maintain and uh, keep up with the technology changes if you build it yourself. Yeah. Tell us about end-to-end automation. Do you have the vision for that? I do. You know, one of the things that we really want to, you know, achieve, uh, and I think we're quite a ways off from being able to achieve this, is we do believe you know, that some, you know, time in the future, call it five years down the road, we do believe that about 15 to 20% of the loans could actually go through the process of origination without having to be touched by a human. Not to say that we wouldn't have a touch by a human, but uh, we do believe that it is possible if you have your really high, you know, credit borrower that uh, is buying a cookie cutter neighborhood that, you know, does all their information digitally um, and, you know, is, is one of the, you know, loans that will be sold to the GSEs. I think that that, you know, doesn't necessarily, if the borrower doesn't need it, um, necessarily have to go through, you know, a lot of touch by a human. And, and what, you know, we hope to achieve is where we can have all of our resources dedicated to the exceptions uh, in the process or to the more complex processes because, you know, I don't think there's any replacing the human in this industry anytime soon. As I said earlier, I think it's a matter of, you know, enhancing or providing uh, efficiencies to what they are doing every day and, you know, making it so that the more complex and, and sophisticated um, loans or income calcs or anything else are, are actually where they're spending their time rather than, uh, you know, on, on the easy cookie cutter uh, loans that, you know, really have no risk. And so we do believe that you can automate a lot of the process. Uh, mm-hmm. And we are just starting um, down that journey where, you know, whether it's automating services um, or, you know, automating uh, disclosure, uh, whether it's, you know, automation of a COA process, I mean, all the way down, you know, 
through you know the credit analytics. I know you had Joe Tyrell on here yeah. uh, not too long ago, and you know, look, they're all working towards the same things, and you know, we hope to be able to take advantage of those solutions if they you know uh, come out and are available. But uh, we're also looking at other opportunities that you know we can develop ourselves if if it doesn't come to fruition with them. And there are some things you can develop, and let's get that over to Alice. Alice. Well, you had mentioned about, you know, not replacing the human, but at the same time, we know artificial intelligence, BOP, robotic process automation are all, you know, yep. what everybody's looking towards to find some solutions. Are are you seeing this coming into play in, in your process? And, and if you are, how are you using it? Yeah, I think we're just scratching the surface, as I said earlier, on, you know, the AI front. And, and I think most of the industry is still trying to you know, get their arms around exactly how AI can play, you know, an important role in what we do. But I don't see it replacing people. I see it being used as more of a collaboration tool to help humans make better decisions through its recommendations. I think, you know, one of the things that AI does, you know, better, you know, than a human can is to to predict behavior. Um, and And so, you know, whether that's identifying people that may need to tap into their home equity or people that are just getting ready to buy a home, maybe they're needing to upsize or downsize. I think, you know, AI is definitely something that could be used on that front. I think that, you know, if a borrower is going to not qualify for a mortgage and, you know, rather than the LO knowing all the answers of how if I, you know, change this or that on, on the borrower's information, you know, whether it's, you know, um, if they were to be able to come up with additional, you know, down payment, or maybe it's, you know, um, you know, restructuring the loan in some way, I think that AI could, you know, instantly provide ways to restructure a deal so that maybe the borrower does qualify. But I don't see that replacing the human. I see that as enhancing the recommend and, and making recommendations that the human then can use to do their job better. So, I think that that is, you know, when David asked earlier, you know, one of what is the next wave? I think AI is absolutely going to be something that uh, is going to be a game changer. I think it's just a matter of figuring out how best to integrate that into the mortgage process. Well, and when you're looking at AI, APIs, bots, RPAs, and all of that, you start looking at the cost to implement all these. And so, uh, we've had several questions come in from listeners that are down the line of kind of where I wanted to go next. And it's what are the monetary gains you can expect from this investment? And can you share how you're managing the cost benefit component as you more in this area? Yeah. So a uh, great question and, and uh, certainly a, a critical one to understand. So going into any investment through technology and, and I think, what you're going to get is a return really depends on what solution you're trying to uh, solve for and what your goals and objectives are. But look, technology is rarely cheap. Uh, it is a major investment. I think you have to really understand uh, what those costs are. And uh, one thing that I can tell you from, you know, having done this for over the past 30 years of uh, implementing new technology is it rarely, if ever, comes, you know, on budget, let alone under budget, it's almost always going to take more time and more money than what you initially, you know, projected. Okay. And so, yeah. you know, making sure you get the results that you expect it and, you know, being able to measure all those things as we talked about earlier uh, is absolutely critical. And, and I think one of the things that is very, very important is not only identifying, you know, 
what it is you know that you're going to have to measure and track as a result of what you've implemented but also getting the feedback from those that are using it to make sure it's actually doing what they wanted it to do so right. too often you know you put in two, you know technology people start using it and it creates more work for them than in, you know it did before <laughs> you had the process and right. that's something you absolutely have to avoid yeah, that's so. Yeah, it, and sometimes it looks like a great idea until you start going implementing. You go, man, this added to the cycles, uh, work cycles and processes. Not, it's not simplifying the process. I got some questions coming in from listeners. Okay, so when you're looking at making a decision, what are the driving factors in your decisions on whether or not to adopt an AI or some new piece of technology? Any insights? Yeah, I think one of the things that we do really well is we have an advisory council which is made up of our you know top you know ten branches. We listen to them for what are the pain points that they're going through, right? And trying to get a mortgage done for their borrowers and, and, you know, where are they struggling? Because that's where nine times out of 10, we're going to get ideas on what we need to work on and what we need to improve. And, and so we listen to that group. Uh, and then we, you know, of course, expand upon what they tell us and, and, you know, seek out additional advice with David. We, we often bounce ideas off of you. I know you know that. And, you know, we'll, we'll bounce it off of other people that, you know, are, are whether they're having the, the same issues or same problems. I have a peer group that I, you know, have a monthly call with that we discuss what, you know, each of us is going through and the types of obstacles we're facing and, you know, what each of us is trying to do to, to resolve those. But I, I think it's really important to constantly be getting that feedback and to constantly, you know, be trying to, you know, adapt to solutions that will, will work for everybody involved. Let's wrap it up with this question having to do with the pitfalls and challenges and navigating through all of what, you, what you're trying to build and the, the vision. What are some of the challenges, pitfalls? Do you say, if you do these things, you can avoid them. One that people usually fall into the most is trying to bite off more than they can chew at one <laughs> time. So I think that often, you know, everybody wants to build the Tesla with all the bells and whistles that's self-driving. And uh, at the end of the day, what you really need it was just, you know, a car that started and could get you from point A to point B. And so, you know, starting off with, uh, you know, a basic implementation of what it is that you're trying to achieve and not trying to build everything at once, you know, that is a recipe for disaster when you start trying to, you know, have scope creep and you start trying to add more and more things to what was originally the plan and ends up usually where that, you know, never gets implemented at all. Or if it does, it's delayed significantly. So it, it's, that's, you know, a major pitfall that people often fall into, not realizing that the one little thing that they think is so minor, you know, tends to lead to 10 others that aren't so minor, or, you know, maybe it was way more complex than what their initial thoughts were. So I think that's a, a major challenge or pitfall that people need to avoid. And then I think choosing the right partner is so, so critical. I mean, uh, I said this before, but, you know, you have people that say they can solve your problems all the time, but, you know, whether they've actually ever done it before is is the real question. And you really have to dig deep to find that out. So often, uh, you know, they've done it, something similar in a different industry, or they've, uh, you know, done the same thing in your industry, but with different systems, and they aren't ready for all the obstacles that they're going to come across with, you know, using the systems that you uh, use as a company. So, that is, you know, a couple of the major things that I would absolutely say people need to be aware of and, and try to avoid. Yeah, I like one person says, hey, it's what I use in a fire drill. You know, stop, drop, and roll. I mean, in other words, take the That's time right. to 
to, to really analyze and ask the questions. I think that it would avoid so many uh, false starts and investment and in going down some rabbit holes that, that take time, if not just a whole lot of money. Joe, thank you so much. Really great wisdom. I love having you on and looking forward to our continuing our conversations, our next upcoming board meeting. And by the way, how important is having a board of advisors? Look, I, I think the perspective that you guys bring to us as an advisory board member is just, you know, something no company should be without. Uh, essentially, uh, you bring insights from the entire industry that, uh, you know, you, you might be able to read something about in an article. You might be able to talk to somebody that's, you know, going through the similar things. But you, the depth and breadth of knowledge that you bring, both you and Mark, um, really just can't be uh, simulated somewhere else where you're, you know, not able to talk in person and dive deeper into those issues. And um, you, you get to see it through all the different, you know, companies that you work with and, uh, you know, through all the uh, regulatory and, you know, industry contacts that you have and, and really makes just a world of difference in being able to, you know, bounce ideas off, maybe think about ideas we weren't, considering before, but maybe we should be because the rest of the industry is, you know, headed down a path that we weren't even thinking about. So I really can't say enough good things about, uh, you know, the advisory board and, and what it brings to the table. Yeah. Having multiple resources to pull on as you do you know, develop a company or grow a company. And you guys do a great job of pulling on us as well as many, many others out there. Thank you so much, Joe, for being here today. really appreciate you taking time. I know how busy you are. You investing this much time to share with our audience is much appreciated, friend. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, David. It was a pleasure. You bet. We've had as our guest, Joe DiDominicus, Chief Financial Officer and Chief Technology Officer at Nations Reliable Lending. If you're interested in becoming on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We get a lot of people reaching out to us, and we're getting our calendar pretty well planned out. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, CMLA, Indicom, Incelerate, Mobility, MMI, as well as Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, Lenders One, and the Mortgage Collaborative. Folks, thanks so much for being here. Share this podcast with others, and we appreciate you being a part of our faith audience. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.